Hey everyone, this is Chad Dotson. You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 139. With me today, my good friend, uh, baseball author extraordinaire, Joel Luckup. How you doing today, Joel? Well, you know, there's baseball and there's author, but I don't know if you need to start adding French into it as well. <laughs> well, we certainly know at least two of those three words in that description are accurate. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Joel, I got a, I got a question for you. We we are going to have a question of the show uh, later that uh, was your idea. And I think it's a great topic for the show. But I really the most more important question is how many Pokemon have you caught today? I have not caught any. Oh, come on! I don't believe that. No, I haven't. My son my son plays, and his device is only Wi-Fi enabled, so he has to attract them to our house. Oh, so sorry. our house gets swarmed with Pokemon, and those things they don't clean up after themselves. And... Oh gosh! Yeah, you gotta you're gonna have to vacuum more often. It's be awful. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Pokemon. Uh, I had about an hour to kill yesterday uh, with my son, and that's what we had to do was go hunt for Pokemon. So yeah, yeah, it's taking over the world. It has. It has. It's crazy. Yeah, it's like Reds baseball. You know, I mean, every, it's all anybody's talking about. Oh, just a national obsession. Both mm-hmm. of the, both of those topics. So this is episode 139 of the Red Leg Nation Radio uh, podcast. Uh, no, uh. it it is, but it's also the last episode because next week we're transitioning to. All Pokemon Go all the time. Oh, cool. Red yeah. Red Pokemon Nation. <laughs> Something <Go>. like that. <laughs> uh, but it is a, a episode 139, which seems uh, difficult to believe. And uh, the team that we're talking about now may not be the best Reds team that we've uh, experienced in our lifetime. Uh, probably not. It's... It's uh, it's up there with um, some of the worst, actually, if not the worst. Yeah, I was looking at it earlier today, as a matter of fact, and of course they're on pace to lose 104 games, which would be the worst uh, in, in terms of number of losses. Uh, only other time the Reds lost more than 100 was 82 when they lost 101 games, but also it would be the second worst losing losing percentage. That's, that is what it – it's not a winning percentage. It's a losing percentage. Second worst in Reds history. I think 1934 maybe. Right. And, and I want to say something real quick. We always give credit to the 1982 team as being the only 100-loss team. If you give that, uh, that 1934 team only played 152 games, you give them 10 more games, they're going to lose at least one. They went 52 and 99. Yeah. They're going to lose at least one more game if they have 10 more. So. You know, get off the case of the '82 team, okay? <laughs> well, we can stay on their case a little bit because 101 losses is bad. But you're you're right that uh, they're not the worst team in Reds history. Right. Uh, they're not the best team in Reds history either. I'll say that. But that that Red 34 Reds team, uh, you said 99 losses, right? Their winning percentage 344. I mean, that's just, and that was in the middle of a, a stretch where the Reds had five straight years with a, a winning percentage below uh, below 400, which is right. unprecedented in, in Reds history. Right, and then, and then, actually, they were bad for a couple more years after '34, and then they brought in Bill Bill McKechnie, and and things really started to turn around. So, I guess what I'm saying is we need to exhume Bill McKechnie. <laughs> I figured that's exactly what you were saying. I was, right. I, I'm on board with that. Uh, no, yeah, they did. They turned around after just an awful run a couple years later. Hey, they're you know in the World Series and they win one. Um, and that's sort of been, if you look back at the history of the Reds franchise, uh, certainly I'm not projecting that's what this team's going to do, I hope. But uh, some of their worst times came very shortly before some of the best times. So mm-hmm. we can uh, we can hope. And some of their worst times came immediately after their best times as well. So, you know, it all <laughs> evens out. It's a big roller coaster with this organization. Yeah. Uh, what, yeah, what's going on with the Reds this week? We had the All-Star game. 
uh, Adam Duvall and Jay. Well, we Bruce. didn't have it. Well, we somebody didn't. took it from us. Well, that's true. We we used to have it. What I happened? We to that? owned it. I thought it was going to be here forever. Yeah, another example of Walt Jockety ruining this organization. He even lost the. He got you know got rid of Cueto, got rid of Frazier, and I blame Bu- I blame Bud Selig actually. <laughs> well, now listen, I'll always. You know, we used to open in Cincinnati every year, but now the All Star Games elsewhere too. Come on. Yeah, I mean this. You know, as if the Reds team weren't playing poorly enough. We got all these other uh, items surrounding the team where we just can't catch a break. So San Diego has it now because they're such a wonderful organization, I guess. They yeah. do have a nice park, and you know, uh, they did a good job hosting it. I guess it looked like it was fun. I didn't go. Yeah, I didn't go either. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't offer me. They didn't offer me follow up tickets from last year. I know, right? You'd have thought we'd have gotten first option since we were there last year. I know. Oh well. Um, so much for that. We did have a couple of guys from the Reds organization that were allowed to go, Adam Duvall and Jay Bruce, uh, both of whom having good years. Were you surprised? I know some people were surprised. I wasn't uh, particularly, but were you surprised that uh, in the in, when they first announced the rosters that Duvall got the call instead of Jay Bruce? No. It, it, to me, like for the stuff that people look at, especially, you know, when they're only looking at a half season, um, the – you know, to me, it was a fifty-fifty proposition between the two of them. They both are having you know pretty good years, but honestly, I mean, it's not like either of them are world beaters anyway. And at least with Duvall, he was he's close to the league lead in home runs, so you know he has something that you could hang your hat on there. Yeah, I thought the home runs would be the the deciding factor. He's been right around the league lead uh, for most of the year, and 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 a good story. Happy for Adam yeah. Duvall, you know. Yeah, yeah, good for him. I. I suspect that'll be his only appearance, but, you know, good for him. He, he got one. You know, it's more than I've done. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, uh, you say it's probably the only time he's ever going to make it, and that's to some people may sound like a criticism of uh, his career. But, man, no way. You know, how many people or how many players in baseball history have made an all-star game? You know, not that not that many. So, I mean, there have been some, some not very good players that have made it, but, uh, but still, it's a great accomplishment. It's a great story. Uh, love that kid. Well, he's not right, really, not really a kid so much anymore, but no, no, he's. I mean, he's one of those. You you had a nice tweet today saying that you know Jay Bruce is 17 months older than Adam Duvall, which may be very surprising to some people because you know Adam Duvall, given that he just came up, gets labeled with this young kid label, and you know Jay Bruce, who's been here since ought four, ought two, whatever, you know, way back when we used to. Um, I don't know what I was going to say. I was going to make some wisecrack about the fact that he's been here forever, okay? Oh, man, that was uh, going to be a great wisecrack. It I, was, I could, t- I could see it coming, yeah. I'll tell you what. I'll write it down, and then I'll put it on Twitter <laughs> Oh, that's <laughs> with no context. That's um, That'll be like everything else on Twitter. I know. So uh, anyway, but, you know, Duvall, I mean, to expect – well, I think I think the faulty thing to do with Duvall is to think that he's just getting rolling, that this is just the beginning of things. Uh, I think Duvall is a classic case of somebody who is probably he may have you know two, three, four good years, but you know guys that tend to uh, get to the majors late and have a late peak like that don't have a very long peak. That's just the tendency of history, and maybe he'll buck the trend, but. You know, enjoy him while he's here, right? Yeah, I There's mean, not a lot to cheer about on this team. Might as well cheer for him. Yeah, why? Why uh, take that as a sort of a, a criticism or a, a reason to uh, be unhappy with what we have? I guess uh, because 
Duvall, maybe he's only going to be a, a an above average player if if he is above average, and he has been this year. But uh, for two or three years, man, that's you know, let's let's take that. It's 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 not his fault that he's not good enough to be a, a superstar for the next fifteen years, and and maybe he will be. I I guess stranger things may have happened, but. Uh, you you think of guys like Chris Sabo who came up late and you know by by age thirty he's pretty much finished as an effective right. big league. Well, I think we're going to see similar stuff with Todd Todd Frazier. Um, you know Todd Frazier's probably going to have another couple good years and and really I mean to be honest outside of the home runs the year he's having this year isn't you know isn't that great. Um, but he's going to have more you know he'll probably have some some big home run years a couple more big home run years and then. Uh, you know, then he's going to kind of probably fall off. Just yeah. it's not it's not uncommon. It's not a weird trend. It's just things that happen for players that come up late. Right. It is. It is the way it is. And uh, and you're already seeing some of that with Frazier. And I think the Reds probably, uh, in retrospect, they're going to believe they parted ways with him. Wish they'd have gotten more of a return, but parted ways at the right time. Well, they. I mean, let's be fair. They sold a little bit late on him. They did. Yeah, they could have sold him. They could have traded him in July last year and probably gotten a, a much better package for him because he was coming off of. He was kind of a glamour guy. You're one of those guys that teams will trade for to say, "Hey, look, we made this move for this guy," and you know he had his big moment. Um, not that like I don't want to. I don't want to get too hung up on the past, but I think they could have traded him a little bit sooner and gotten a little bit more. Maybe not a lot more, but a little bit more. Yeah, I I think so, and 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 to me, just completely from the outside, a lot of the reason why they didn't had to be just the public relations. You're talking about the public relations value from the team that trades for him. It's a similar public relations hit for the Reds if they did dealt him after just what a wonderful half season he had last year, and then all the excitement at the home run derby. Right, um, he was in the home run derby again this year. Did you watch that? I did. I did. It was so much fun. Like <laughs> the changes that they've made to the home run derby. The, improved it immensely it's and a completely different uh, event now it, it, i know it's it's I, I love it whereas before it was i liked it yeah but it kind of it kind of got old because they took a lot of pitches and you know there wasn't that clock that they were racing against to try to catch up and that i mean the, you know i know there's not supposed to be a clock in baseball but you know <laughs> in some cases a clock is a pretty nice thing and uh and it really worked out great last year because they had to cut the they cut the time shorter on the on the timing right uh last they were, year. They were expecting rain because they were expecting rain and they didn't want to go too late. And, and actually, you know, they kind of fell backwards into a better format, I'm guessing, because I think if it had been longer, the players would have been gotten, getting much more tired and you'd see fewer home runs as they go on. I think it works the way they have it right now. I think it works very well. And it was a very exciting and fun event. It was. And, uh, and I couldn't, couldn't agree more regardless of the fact that it was exciting for, for Reds fans because of what Frazier did last year. But, just the worst part about it in the past, other than Chris Berman's announcing, the worst part was uh, they stand there and take pitch after pitch, and nobody wants to see players standing up there taking pitches. So, you be- hear that, Joey Votto? <laughs> oh, man, there's the pull quote from this episode. <laughs> um, so uh, this year, uh, Adam Duvall, of course, uh, again, great story. Happy for that kid. He uh, participated in the Home Run Derby, and, uh, got by the first round. Who do, who was he? Who was he against? Carlos Gonzalez in the first round. Yeah, yeah he was against Gonzalez in the first round. No, yeah. was he? <laughs> he 
it's been at least three days ago. How am I supposed to remember that, Joel? Um, <laughs> I don't remember who he faced. I don't eat. No, it was not. It wasn't uh, Cargo. It was uh, Frazier Will- faced Cargo. Yeah, Will Myers. Yeah, that's right. It was Will Myers. It was the hometown guy. The hometown boy. Yeah. Well, that's the first time I've ever made a mistake, Joel. It had to happen eventually. I know. I know. And I'm I'm happy. I'm excited that I was here to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very exciting. Um, but but Duvall and Frazier both, uh, and that was a neat moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Duvall and Frazier against each other, the red and the former red, uh, in the in the event where Frazier uh, really sort of excited all of uh, Red Leg Nation last year. It was fun. I wish Duvall had won it this year, but... Go Frazier. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, um, I don't know. I, I was happy with the way that Duvall, I mean, despite the fact that, uh, you know, they barely even talked about him while he was crushing home runs. I was happy with the way he performed. He looked good. He did. Yeah. I mean, again, there's nothing about the, uh, Duvall story that I just don't love. I'm just, I'm happy for him. And I, I love the fact that he was a throw in on a, on the Mike Leak trade and, um, you know, and now he's the he's he won a spot. He grabbed hold of that brass ring when he got the opportunity. Good for him. Yeah, um, and he's having a fine season. Did we mention that he's having a fine season? <laughs> he is having a fine season. He's he's not uh, the next Barry Bonds, but he's having a fine season. Yeah. Uh, hey, did you notice that uh, the starting pitcher for the National League, the All Star Game, is a guy that used to play for the Reds? Uh, no, I saw it was Kudo. Was that his yeah, name? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Kudo, Johnny Kudo. Yeah. Um, and again, we've said it ten times about Duvall, but good for Cueto. You know, it's his first yeah. first all first time he's actually ever gotten into an All Star game. So, uh, yeah. Well, and you know, I posted a stat, you know, a list since 2011. Um, the only pitcher who has a lower pre All Star game ERA is uh, Clayton Kershaw. Oh, he's Kershaw. Good. Yeah, and Kershaw's been selected for six All Star teams since 2011. That was only Cueto's third. Uh, that he's been selected to. So, was that right, or is it his second? No, I think it was his third. No, I don't know. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I think it was his whatever. <laughs> it was his second or third. I think it was his second, but I'm not 100. Yeah, sure. I think I'm. I think you're right. It was his second. But <laughs> we are so prepared today. <laughs> I know, right? A lot of research went into yeah, this. But anyway, so anyway, the point being that um, I think Cueto is. I mean, we've always known this in Cincinnati. He was very underappreciated. He had that year. Uh, what was that, 2012, was it, when he <laughs> should have been selected, but Tony Larusa was the manager, and uh, yes. basically Larusa didn't pick him because Tony Larusa holds grudges and is a jerk. Um, that, that pretty much covers it, yeah. That's... Yeah, and even even Larusa, uh, like when they were when the Diamondbacks were courting Cueto during the offseason, even Larusa's uh, admitted that they had to like try to clear the air about that 2012 selection because, you know, obviously he knows that Cueto deserved to be there, but whatever the past, yeah. is the past, right? I, I guess, but you know, with the Reds, really, the past is kind of all we have. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the point stands about Cueto, and, and the fact that he's only made that uh, the All Star team that number of times, and and Kershaw, who and Kershaw's a better pitcher, but still, right? Um, it makes me well. Be- it makes me, I was just gonna say it makes me want to write a sternly worded letter to someone. Well, you know, and to be fair, 
Cueto was hurt in 2011. He was hurt in 2013. He probably didn't deserve to be selected either of those years because, I mean, he had a good ERA, but he, he only, you know, he only had like 60 innings or something like that. Um, but he really deserved to be there in 2012. He was clearly one of the best pitchers in the league at that point. And in 2015, he probably deserved to be selected, although he was a little more borderline given the fact that, you know, there were other deserving Reds and then there were, you know, having to fit players from all the teams and the Reds weren't exactly a juggernaut of a, of a squad. Um, but he probably, you know, he probably deserved at least two more all-star selections and, you know, it's just the way it goes, I guess. Yeah. You know, there will never be a time. Uh, we'll, we'll always talk about Cueto, I think on this podcast, and there's never going to be a time that I watch that guy pitch that I just don't sort of marvel at him. He's, he's going to end up being one of my favorite players I ever saw in a Reds uniform. And so I still have very, uh, very warm thoughts about old Johnny. And how nice of it was it when he came to town and he let the Reds score six runs? That's, that was very nice of him. Uh, just like Johnny, always thinking about the Reds. Uh-huh. Always. <laughs> what a great guy. What a great guy. Uh, all right, well, let's, let's maybe shift a little bit towards the, the future. And uh, yeah, I thought we'd talk about Amir Garrett playing in his second straight uh, Futures game. But, you know, what can we say about Amir Garrett other than that he's, uh, well, he's doing very well? Uh, this season in the minor leagues and and hopefully he will be with the Reds uh, sooner rather than later but you know I'm looking at this uh, rotation for the second half in the in the bullpen and I'm thinking hey you know um, this team might be able to avoid that hundred loss uh, plateau um, am I am I crazy well, I mean, we we definitely need to see some improvements. I think uh, over like the last 15 games, the rotation's got an ERA approaching seven. Uh, the starting rotation does. Um, strangely enough, the bullpen is around three and a half. Uh, so, you know, we need to find a balance. Maybe not have both, you know, one suck and the other be good. How about, you know, somewhere in between? Um, but they're good pitchers in the rotation. They're not bad yeah. pitchers. You, you no. Know. No, and and this is the thing with a young rotation. And we saw this, you know, in 2008 and 2009 and with Cueto and with Homer Bailey trying to figure it out. And it just takes guys, it takes guys a while. Pitching in the big leagues is hard. And it's a rare pitcher that can come up and dominate right out of the gate. You know, your Jose Fernandez or your Clayton Kershaw or somebody like that. You know, and we don't... It, the, there's no shame in saying that we don't have a Clayton Kershaw right now. Um, it's unlikely that we're going to have anybody. I I don't see any of these guys that are you know coming up as um, as necessarily your perennial Cy Young contenders. Now they might develop into that, but I you know, but you don't need that. You need good quality pitching, and I think you're going to get that from these guys as time goes on. Yeah, I agree. You know the Reds announced that they're going to uh, shuffle up their starting rotation for the second half. And, and look at these guys. Uh, Dee Sclafani, who's been uh, fantastic since coming back. John Lamb is going to be the number two starter, and that's a sort of a, a false uh, title. Uh, but just in the second half, he's going to go after uh, Disco. Uh, and Lamb and, is what he is. And that well, and that's mainly because he's trying to mix up the lefties. He doesn't want to go lefty, 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 lefty. Uh, right. Like he had been. Yeah, and, and of course they wanted to move. I think, well, we only have three lefties. I think I said four lefties, but go ahead. <laughs> well, there's all kinds of lefties. I can't keep yeah. them straight. But uh, Dan Straley third, and then Finnegan, uh, Brandon Finnegan fourth. Uh, and a, a part of the reason why they sort of moved him back, and 
not because he was has been struggling lately, although he has been. Uh, but he's going to be getting close to his inning, innings limit around the end of the year, and so they want to try to keep him uh, – just keep an eye on his uh, his innings. And then Cody Reed, who has been uh, bad. There's no other way to put it, but Cody Reed. Uh, so, you know, uh, Disco, Lamb, Straley, Finnegan, Reed, you know uh, – I'm not sure that Lamb is going to be in the Reds' rotation long term. I, I'm almost positive Straley won't, although I think Straley can help this team. They've got him under control for a long time. Uh, can be a, a bullpen guy, swing guy. But mm-hmm. but we'll get to see some of these guys second half, and it's not like the guys uh, who started in the first half, the you know the Adelmans and the oh, I had a, I had a list up here uh, earlier. Oh man. Alfredo Simon, John Moscott, although Moscott, I don't know, maybe. Tim Adelman, Daniel Wright, Tim Melville. Yeah, I mean, those guys got 24 starts in the first half of the year. And none of those guys are likely, hopefully, fingers crossed, to start a game the rest of the way. So I would think the rotation, even though they've been, as you noted, bad recently, I would think they're probably due to be okay, I guess, the rest of the way. Hopefully, you know, and then Homer's coming back. All right. Um, you know, so getting Homer back will help, and um, yeah, I think they'll do fine. I think they'll, I they're not like you said. They may avoid a hundred hundred losses. The rotation may help them avoid a hundred losses, but you know, I you know we're gonna see flashes. I bet we see uh, Brandon Finnegan go on another three or four start stretch here. Maybe not immediately, but at some point where he's you know he's gonna probably uh, look really dominant, and I. I suspect that Cody Reed is going to have a start here and a start there and maybe string together a couple starts where he's going to look dominant. And that's just the way young pitching goes. And that's what kind of what makes it fun to see, see guys who struggle develop into um, and, and figure things out. That's one of the things that I think in, uh, helped us fall in love with Johnny Cueto as a pitcher because we saw him struggle and we saw him have days where he looked like he was trying to figure, starting to figure it out and days where then he struggled again. And then suddenly he really put it together and that's really fun. Sure. And that, I think that's one of the few things that uh, gives us something to, to watch in this second half. It's something to me is is pretty exciting. Let's watch how these guys are going to develop because uh, the more these guys that, do develop into uh, above-average pitchers, the better it's going to be for the next good Reds team. And, and there are a number of guys with some potential. They won't all pan out, but watching that process and, and seeing who does is going to be fun. Uh, I, I'm really particularly excited to watch uh, uh, Finnegan and Reed. Uh, I, at some point, you've got to believe that Cody Reed's going to start showing us some, some, some more uh, consistent flashes of what he's been showing in the minor leagues, which has just been uh, – dominant at times so Mm -hmm. uh the reds only have to go 31 and 42 the rest of the way to avoid losing 100 games that seems achievable maybe yeah yeah dream big (laughs) yeah dream big let's try to get to 99 uh losses instead of 100 so uh, you're right about the bullpen as well just uh quickly you know having uh roselle iglesias and i still hope uh, you know have hopes that he'll be a starter at some point in, in years to come. Michael Lorenzen, uh, Tony Singrani settled nicely into into the bullpen role. You know, it's got to be better than what we've seen. It has to be, and it has been uh, recently. Yeah, um, it definitely has been, and I think uh, some of that is the addition of Iglesias and Lorenzen. 
Um, you know, and even for a while there, Josh Smith was a pretty good, you know, was doing pretty well. He kind of gotten lit up, uh, three of the last four times he's gone out, but, um, you know, he, having guys down there that, um, have stuff, which is not, you know, you really can't say that about, um, the ro- the bullpen at the beginning of the season. Uh, but as the season has gone on, we've added guys, or they've added guys like Iglesias and like Lorenzen, and, you know, Singrani is kind of up and down. But you get rid of guys, you know, guys like, no offense to these guys, but guys like <laughs> Drew Hayes and uh, Steve Delabar and Lane Thompson and, you know, those guys, it's just, they're not they're not the key to a good bullpen. They're guys that come up because you have injuries on a bad team. Yeah, I counted up, and you just mentioned some of them. I counted up nine relievers who pitched uh, some amount of time for the big league club this year who have ERAs, uh, and, of course, ERA for relievers. We'll talk about that, but um, have ERAs of 6.30 or higher. Caleb Cotham, J.C. Ramirez, Kevia Sampson, A.J. Morris, Drew Hayes, Steve Delabar, Diane Diaz, Lane Thompson, your buddy, and then everyone's friend uh, and everyone's punching bag, J.J. Hoover. So that's a you know that's a lot of bad pitching that uh, is being replaced by some guys with a little bit more ability. So you know they're not gonna uh, they're not gonna be historically bad second half like they were in the first half. We can hope. And the nice thing about that, about that is when you look at the bullpen right now and you look at some of those ERAs. You know you've got Iglesias at two sixty six and Blake Wood at three nineteen and Singrani at three twenty and Lorenzen at three thirty eight. Those are much more like the numbers that you want to see out of a bullpen. And obviously those are going to fluctuate a bad outing here, or, you know, or a stretch of good outings. It's going to go up and down. But those that's where you want your bullpen. And, you know, ERA range to be in. You don't want, you know, a lot of these guys down in the sixes and sevens and eights and, and 19s. <laughs> right, yeah. It's just been uh, to watch this bullpen of the first half has been, it's it's been almost funny because it's been so brutal. All right. Well, you know, let's uh, shift over, I guess, to the question of the show. And, uh, and Joel, this was your question. And uh, I don't know whether you want to try to answer it first or you want me to, but let me go ahead and throw it out. What radical idea would you suggest the Reds experiment with the rest of the season? I, I bet since you suggested this that you have something something radical you want to propose. Well, I don't know. if I have a couple ideas, and I'll answer one because we were just talking about the bullpen. And I've mentioned this on Twitter, but I'd like to see the Reds really rethink the way they, you build a bullpen. And and they've kind of done it some with the way they're using Lorenz and, and Iglesias, uh, more so Iglesias. Um, but, uh, you know, using these guys to throw, like playing on them going into a game uh, uh, to throw two or three innings. Um, and regardless of what, you know, how well the starting pitcher pitched. Um, I mean, obviously, if the starting pitcher can reach seven or eight innings, you let them do that. But, um, you know, not just not just having you know you, the kind of like Josh Smith guys be your two or three or four or five inning guys, but uh, you know guys like Iglesias or Lorenzen or even somebody like John Lamb. Um, basically, the the idea being have them go through a lineup once. That's your goal, you know. And if they can do that in three innings, then they pitch the final three innings. But if they if it takes them a whole inning, or if it takes them two innings to do that, then they only pitch the two innings. And so your mentality then becomes: I'm going to face everybody in the lineup once. Obviously, you can 
mix and match a little bit. You know, if you've got, uh, um, you know, Bryce Harper coming up and Lorenzen's on the mound and you've got a lefty in the bullpen uh, and, and, you know, you don't want to force Lorenzen to have to make that out unless you feel comfortable that he can. Um, But if you can bring in a lefty that might be able to control Harper a little bit better, especially if there's men on base, then yeah. So you're going to have, my idea would be you would have a mixture of a bullpen that would be three or four guys that are going to be two or three inning guys. And then, uh, you know, two or three guys who are going to be your situational guys. Now, the only reason this idea is radical is because of the rise of the modern bullpen. This idea was not radical back in the seventies. It was the way things went. And, and so, but I, I think when, when you look at what the Reds organizational strength is right now, and that is young starting pitching throughout the organization, there's plenty of young starting pitching. Not all of those guys are going to pan out, but if they're good enough to be starting pitchers, they may be good enough to be one time through the order type relievers. Uh, I think one of the big changes that the Reds would have to make then is telling these guys, look, we're going to compensate you based on different criteria than maybe you've been brought up expecting to be compensated on. We're not going to worry about things like saves because if you have a two or three inning mentality, then you're going to have multiple guys getting saves because that guy's already in the game. He's pitching tonight. That's his night to pitch kind of thing. Um, And so he may end up closing the game out and getting the save. But you you tell these guys, you give them different criteria. Maybe we'll do it based on innings pitched. Uh, as well as ERA and as well as strikeouts or, you know, getting out of jams or whatever kind of metrics you want to come up with. But, you know, we always talk, you know, you always hear baseball people say, well, um, you know, you can't, uh, you can't force that kind of a change. Pitchers need their roles. Well, you're just redefining what their roles are and it's happened throughout history it's just just because in the past the redefinition of roles was always that you know they're going to pitch less and less um you know that's changed that right right does it doesn't necessarily mean that that has to those roles have to be the same you're right they have have changed and this is that is sort of a rat it's not really a radical idea as you note when you're looking at the entire history of the game but uh, considering the way pitchers are used now it is but with all the uh even sort of the old school baseball guys will tell you well you know these some guys struggle second time through the lineup or third time through the lineup and and certainly i guess everyone almost everyone i would imagine their numbers are first time through uh certainly better than later in, in, in the game and so that seems while it may be we're classifying it as radical it seems in some ways obvious and it makes me wonder why some i guess thinking outside the box is not something that major league managers are noted for but it it sort of surprises me that someone hasn't tried some you know at least at least moving in that direction a little bit because it makes all kinds of sense well and you know to give you some examples um uh you know the and Unfortunately, these numbers aren't particularly good for some of these guys either way. Uh, but like you look at, um, I mean, Iglesias in his career, first time, uh, this is just as a starting pitcher, but you can, I mean, as a as a reliever, his numbers are similar. His first time through the order, uh, batters are hitting 202 with a 601 OPS. The second time through the order, it's 266 with a 760 OPS. Um, 
you know, Michael Lorenzen, his first time through the order, uh, batting average of two fifty two OPS of 800, obviously less than ideal. Um, that's as a starting pitcher. The number goes down a little bit. It's two thirty four batting average as a reliever, seven seventy nine first time through the order. But his second time through the order, it's three twenty one batting average with a nine sixty two OPS. Uh, you know, those are huge jumps. And so... Some guys and Lorenzen. So it was when I was looking at Lorenzen. Was he was one of the guys when I started thinking about this? Not that again. Not to act like it's like oh man, I'm like this is like you know Einstein sitting there in the uh, patent at the patent desk coming up with having his brilliant insight. Um, That's exactly what it's like. Don't sell yourself short. But the the idea is is that you know these guys they can be much more effective one time through the order and and you know they're already stretched out both physically and mentally to be starting pitchers so why why pigeonhole them back into a one inning role um when you've kind of already got them in this mentality right so it wasn't that long ago really in in terms of certainly a lot of the people that are running the game it wasn't that long ago when you had relievers uh, who who would go multiple innings uh, more often? Yeah, I think back to you know, Goose Gossage and and those guys. But even uh, the Nasty Boys, you know, right. sometimes go a couple innings, things like that. It wasn't that long ago. This shouldn't this but, shouldn't be that radical. But here's the thing, and um, and I actually just so I'm right now I'm reading uh, the only rule is it has to work, which is an excellent book. If you get a chance to read it, it's awesome. Yeah, it's um, on my list. Yeah. But they uh, – uh, so for those not familiar with the book, um, two baseball prospectus writers, uh, Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller, got to uh, basically run the person player personnel on a uh, low-level independent league team out in California. And you know they talked about trying to um, change change the role of their the guy that was labeled as their closer and trying to use him differently and how the manager was rejecting the idea because the game has taught him that you need a closer and at the same around the same time as this was happening I guess Houston Street came out and said that if they tried to change his role and have him pitch in just higher leverage situations that he was going to have to. Uh, or that he was going to quit the game, that he is a ninth inning reliever, blah, blah, blah. And and so they talk about in the book that he has been brought up this way. This is the only way he's – like he was a closer in college. And and so we talk about guys like Goose Gossage, but guys that are in the game now, right now, they've played with pitching roles essentially what they are their entire careers. From probably from little league when there were you know dads who were trying to coach like they were big league managers you know so um, it it may not seem radical to a couple old farts like you and I uh, but it certainly is uh, going to be radical to the younger guys that have been brought up in a game where there's a closer and where there's um, you know specific you know innings that guys are supposed to be pitching. Well, to the players, certainly it's going to be radical, and it's going to be not well-received in a lot of quarters. Uh, there's no question about that. But uh, but that's why I say you go for the starters, and you do this with the, with the converted starters, and then you tell them, you explain to them that they will be compensated uh, as if, you know, whatever, but they will, that they're not just middlemen 
that aren't you know they're not going to be getting middlemen money that they can still earn you know good relief money doing it this way right this is what we value in terms of production and you're going to be compensated commensurate with the value you're providing to our exactly. organization uh, yeah i mean i think that's one way to frame it that uh, may get a little bit more buy-in from people also i think you start uh, you start in uh, rookie ball and single a and uh and this is sort of the organizational philosophy. And by the time some of those guys get up through to the majors, and it's really probably going to be in the higher minors when some of these uh, starting pitchers have begun to flame out a little bit and it's looking like their only uh, option is the bullpen. Hey, look at this. We, As an organization, we value somebody that can go uh, two or three innings, go a time through the lineup uh, effectively. You've demonstrated you can do that as a starter. You've struggled later, and, and so maybe you're not going to be a starter long term. And, of course, obviously you don't necessarily have to ha- have the conversation in these terms. But uh, I think if you wanted to implement an, an organization-wide philosophy, uh, you could certainly get some buy-in on that, I would think. But it's going to take commitment from everyone to, to sort of change the change the way people view that. And, unfortunately, I think there still will be a closer. I, but. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think we're destined to have that uh, forever. Mm-hmm. And, and you look at a guy like Iglesias, uh, well, look at a guy like Aroldis Chapman, uh, who I know you and I both uh, wanted him to, to be a starter, but that's a guy who was a dominant ninth inning closer. But, man, wouldn't it have been great to have that guy for a couple innings, three innings uh, during the, the point in the game when we really needed him? And, and how much more value would that have provided uh, to the Reds than you know coming in with a three-run lead or, or – or, you know, and sometimes he had uh, high leverage situations in the ninth, but too often uh, he didn't. So something like that would have made Chapman so much more valuable uh, to to a team. But again, it's that that's a that's a that's a change that'll have to be made over many many years to get rid of the closure. I think that's here to stay, thanks to uh, Jerome Holtzman and the the save stat. Mm-hmm. So what's your radical idea then? Well, I'm, I'm not – you're making me feel bad. I'm not nearly as radical. <laughs> I'm not trying to change the ways that teams fundamentally look at uh, the roles on the team. Uh, I'm thinking for the Reds uh, more in terms of what are things they could do that would be considered radical that would uh, – well, that I think would be radical. That, it's so radical that I don't think they'll ever do it. But uh, the, first, the first thing is uh, Brandon Phillips to the bench. Uh, you know, love what Brandon's brought to the Reds in his career. Tell him you're on the bench. Um, I move Suarez to second base, Parazza to shortstop for the rest of the season. Jesse Winker, presuming he's healthy again now, to left field. Uh, Adam Duvall at either third base or right field, depending on whether. Uh, and of course, Parazza to short, that and Duvall, whoever's in right field, it's all dependent upon whether Cozart and or Bruce are, are traded. But I think I'd do it for the rest of the season and say, here you go. And I start them six, day, six days a week, specifically Parazza and, and Winker. Uh, here's your chance. And, and I want to see what Suarez can do at second base as well. I, I, I like Suarez at second. I like uh, Parazza at short. Given the, the current personnel in the organization, those are the guys that I like in those positions. And, uh, and I'd do it tomorrow. And I'd say, Brandon, I'm sorry, but this is, this is what it is. Uh, it's it's however it ends with Brandon Phillips, it's not going to end well at this point. So it you know rip the bandaid off. So I'm not well. The, the problem, and, and I'm not opposed to your idea, but the problem with the idea of ripping the bandaid off is that uh, the festering wound will still be there. If that makes sense, right? Be, 
you know, it's ripping the Band-Aid off would be, you know, doing what Jason Linden said on Twitter today and releasing Brandon, which is never going to happen. But, yeah. Well, I don't think sending him to the bench is ever going to happen either. They're just not going to do it. It's uh, These are human beings we're talking about. Nobody wants to do that to Brandon Phillips, I'm afraid. Nobody wants to make that hard decision. But, uh, you know. Okay, so let's say he, the festering wound is still there, and he's uh, being awful in the clubhouse, and he's, uh, you know, making everybody miserable. So, so what? I mean, how much does that hurt this year's team? Are they going to lose more games because of that? Uh, what's what's the downside to having him uh, on the bench? Because uh, I think that's uh, more. I don't think it's likely at all, but I think that's more likely than them just saying, "Hey, that we we owe him this money. It's a sunk cost. Let's just cut bait." Because uh, nobody's going to trade for him at this point, or trade him somewhere, and maybe he'll agree. Tell him you're on the bench if you're not. They don't accept a trade, and, and just pay most of his salary just to get rid of him. What's the worst that happens though if he if he's unhappy and uh, and on the bench? I don't know because I'm not sure he has a lot of influence in the clubhouse. So that would be the only way that it would be a, a, an incredible negative if he was, you know, putting bad seed, you know, being a bad seed, and you know, creating bad mojo for guys that are trying to you know figure out how to be a professional um but you know i think that's one issue that you kind of they probably as a as an organization would probably be worried about but i don't know yeah i mean i guess and there would probably be right to worry about that some but i just i wonder what's the worst that what's the worst that could happen it's just however the brandon phillips era ends in cincinnati and 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 the end is is closer uh Probably than Brandon wants to believe it is. It it's just it it was never destined to end well. Uh, you know, Brandon is who he is, and and hey, full credit to the guy. He's going to be in the Reds Hall of Fame someday. He's had a magnificent career. One of the you know got an argument that he's the second best second baseman ever to uh, play for the Reds. So, um, so you know, uh, it's going to be ugly one way or the other. Yeah. So. Well, the season's going to be ugly, so. <laughs> right. It might, is. As, might as well just watch the whole place burn. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's burn the place to the ground. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, those are. I don't think my idea was as radical as yours, but uh, I don't think either of those are likely to happen. Certainly not in the second half. Uh, well, it's, fun to, it's fun to play that game, right? Well, that's about the only game we can play these days because the product on the field is not great. We got. Uh, what if you know and and talking about what uh, what could be in the future is a fun game because there are some pieces available for, to the reds that uh, could be a good future and and so looking at these different scenarios uh, I, I love with the current personnel that they're likely to have i say current but that they're likely to have over the next few years in that bullpen i love your idea so, mm-hmm. um well you know the second half is is here i guess let's watch it and see what happens any predictions quickly before we wrap up um pain <laughs> <laughs> I, I absolutely set that one on a T for you. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I think we'll see improved pitching. I, but Rocky, I think it'll be Rocky. Uh, um, I think Joey's going to have a good second half. I don't think he's going to have a second half like he had last year, but I think he'll have a good second half. I think we'll see Bruce get traded, potentially Cozart get traded, um, and uh, you know that's probably about it. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know who else really would get dealt necessarily 
Yeah, the way I look at it is, it is there is going to be a painful second half. But you got Peraza, Suarez, Billy Hamilton, uh, Jesse Winker maybe come up. All those guys are 25 years or younger. You got guys like Reed, Stevenson, Finnegan, Iglesias, Lorenzen. Maybe Amir Garrett comes up. Uh, Di Sclafani, Lamb. Uh, you know, these are guys all to what 25, 26 or younger as well. And and so those are some good reasons to watch this this team. There's some teams, that, some pieces that could be around. When the Reds are competitive again, so let's watch him. Let's watch him develop. I'm, and, and and you do still have Joey Butter, like you said, who has. Uh, I saw the stat today, the highest OPS in the major league since the All Star break last year. Even as awful as he was in the first, in you know the first fifty games of the year or whatever, he has the highest OPS in the major leagues. Uh, That's pretty incredible. It really is. It surprised me. So, mm. all right. Well, Joel, always great to talk to you, buddy. Absolutely. Uh, again, you can, uh, as we always say, go to iTunes, subscribe to the Red Leg Nation Radio podcast. You can uh, get the, the links at redlegnation.com for subscribing. You can get the links for all of our previous episodes as well, because there's bound to be a 138 episodes better than this one that we just, <laughs> that we just recorded. Uh, go to iTunes, if you would, and uh, leave us a review. That helps other people find us. And uh, as we always say, tell your friends. If you like us, tell your friends. If you don't like us, keep your mouth shut. Follow uh, Joel on Twitter at JLuckup. That's uh, J-L-U-C-K-H-A-U-P-T. Uh, I'm at Dotson C. You can follow us at Red Leg Nation, uh, the, the site. And, and you can go to redlegnation.com every day for discussion about the Reds and uh, everything going on around this uh, this organization, uh, this roller coaster ride of an organization. Uh I guess that's about all. Joel, come back soon, please. Perhaps. <laughs> think, <laughs> think about it. At least think about it. For Joel Luckup, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>